got the drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen. But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday life? Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can. We're everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen. I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and a work-at-home mom of three who would love to devote more time to creative writing and journaling. And I'm Abigail Creeps, the writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm also a work-at-home mom of one, learning to balance work and home and trying to find a little bit of time to work on something just for fun. And you're listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Welcome to episode six of season five of Chasing Creative. Today we have a guest on the show with us that Ashley and I have both been um, following for a few years on the internet. I don't know if that's creepy or not, John. Um, but we've got uh, John Blaze here, and he has been a he was a preacher for over a decade, and then thought he'd go where the money is, so he says. So he started writing poetry. He's a lucky man with a beautiful wife and three kids who look like their mother. By day, he works as a developmental editor for Waterbrook Multnomah uh, Publisher in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And while he lives out west, he'll always be from the south. His books include The Jubilee, Poems, Know When to Hold Them, The High Stakes Game of Fatherhood, Touching Wonder, Recapturing the Awe of Christmas, and All is Grace, a ragamuffin memoir with Brennan Manning. So welcome to the podcast today, John. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time tonight. Yeah, I know Abby and I are both pretty excited for this interview because we have, like she said, we've been following you online for quite some time now. And on top of that, we both just uh, finished reading, I believe you read this too, over Advent, Abby. We both just read your Advent devotional, Touching Wonder. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a really great um great way to start off the Christmas season. So we are definitely happy to have you here. And um, you've been a writer and an editor for a while now. And like Abby said in your intro, you were first a pastor, which I find to be a really interesting combination. So can you tell us more about how you made that transition and how having that first career has influenced your writing life? Absolutely. Um, Being a pastor, wow, that's kind of like... a long time ago in a universe far, far away. Um, <laughs> at least that's how it feels right now. But uh, I did. I was a pastor initially in the Southern Baptist tradition for over a decade and then actually moved in some, into some what we would call non-denominational work. Um, actually totally about 14 years uh, as a pastor. And um, I'll give you kind of the Reader's Digest version of this. Uh, because it's a long and uh, tumultuous tale. So, <laughs> um, but uh, made the move out to Colorado to uh, actually co-pastor with a friend out here. He had been out here about three years, and um, that ended up not working out. Uh, but there were actually some people in the church at that time who worked for uh, the Navigators or Nav Press. That's a publishing house out there in Colorado Springs, um, a very old established publishing house. And uh, they knew that I was interested in writing and had done a little bit of that, of that over the years. And so they in, 
they threw me some freelance work, mainly just to help me stay afloat um, and provide for my family, uh, food, things like that, which uh, people tend to enjoy having. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I did that and actually got to work on some of the early projects that were associated with the Message Bible. Does that ring a bell? Yes, yes. with Eugene mm -hmm. Peterson. Yeah, they did all kind of uh, what we might call ancillary, you know, Bible studies and devotional books and uh, kind of the T-shirts and socks. I mean, they were doing everything mm -hmm. associated with the mm -hmm. message. Uh, and they needed a guy who had a theology background to kind of be there to make sure everything was, um, you know, kind of above board, so to speak. And uh, so they, they hired me to do that. And so I had the opportunity to work on some of those projects, really cut my teeth there. And they allowed me to learn on the job, but I was able to incorporate that theological background um, with some learning on the job, editorial work, and the two just kind of meshed. Um, you know, I'd love to tell you that that was the plan all along, but uh, for most of my life, things just kind of unfold or I stumble into them. And that's really the way that that, that, that happened. Um, very grateful for that. And um, I think probably that I don't know whether you'd call it a pastoral approach or maybe even a pastoral sensitivity to things. Um, I'm not always sure I have that still. People tell me I have that still. And so I'm, I'm going to trust those people. Um, but I think just a sensitivity to the audience and communication and making sure that you're not talking either above or sometimes even beyond an audience. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty key thing for me in my writing life. Um, not that you're trying to dumb something down necessarily, but you're, you're really trying to communicate with someone. Um, and so I would think some of my best pastoring in, you know, days in the past was a very conversational approach to things. And that's how I would approach writing as well. I was going to say, I really appreciate that, um, that perspective of like pastoring even through your books and using that as a conversational approach to connecting with your audience. That's a really great way to think of it. And I don't think we have ever heard that from any of our guests before. Well, um, you know, I don't, uh, we, you don't need to hand out any halos too quickly here. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I do think that that's important. And I, you mentioned my day job as an, an editor, um, and I'm, you know, I'm working on, oh, at any given time for four, five, six manuscripts and trying to develop and developmentally edit those manuscripts. And that's one of the key challenges for a lot of even established writers uh, is really trying to maintain a connection with your audience. Um, I try to really encourage and sometimes it even becomes kind of a coaching exercise, which is, is fine with me, but to try to help people communicate with their primary audience. You know, there are always audiences that you're not aware of that may come to your work um, by one way or another. But most everybody kind of knows who you're writing to, even writers that are just starting out, if it's not anything more than who they want to write to. So really trying to communicate and keep your language uh, on their level, so to speak, um, that's just, that's, that's very, very important to me. That is really good. And I imagine to Having been a pastor, I mean, pastors in a lot of ways are writers. I mean, hopefully they're writing their own sermons and communications to their church families and things like that. So you were able to, I mean, maybe unconsciously develop that writing bone as you were pastoring in those early years, too, without any thought to being a writer someday. I think that's very true. Uh, you know, it was probably unconscious. 
Um, but yeah, there, there was, uh, that, that's very much the case. And then I've always been a reader as well. Um, and I've, you've probably said this or heard this a thousand times, but I, you know, the best writers are the best readers. Mm-hmm. So I think that is, that's, that's helped as well. Uh, and always had a pretty wide, pretty wide spectrum of what I enjoyed reading and was allowed to read. My dad is a pastor and, uh, sometimes preacher's kids have a pretty tight leash on them as to what they are allowed to read. And, uh, I had no leash. I could read whatever I wanted to read. Um, and so I did, and I think that even contributes sometimes to just an openness in working with people and helping them in terms of language. Um, there was a freedom there that I'm in, intensely grateful for, but uh, in talking sometimes to other pastors' kids or kids who maybe grew up in the church, they, they didn't have that kind of freedom, and so uh, I, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, that is pretty special to be given that gift as a kid. And did you have any conditions on that? Like, did your dad say, you can read anything, but you have to discuss it with us afterwards? Or was it just read what you want and digest it? (laughs) Uh, You know, I would love to paint this intentional parenting portrait of my parents. uh, But that would be um, that would be a lie. And I'm trying not to lie on your podcast. All right. So, um, no, they just they really let let me uh, read it, even when it came to music, you know, whatever was um, was interesting to me or that I was interested in. So um, they would engage me, you know, from time to time about different things, maybe that they had, that they were aware of, or maybe they were interested in as well. But I had pretty free reign, so it, it was good. Yeah, I think that's a nice approach to things because sometimes, you know, even books that are not uh, quote unquote Christian or music that's not Christian, um, you can still oftentimes find something to learn from them or find some sort of redemptive message or story there. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is really like it really works well with the the dual careers of writer and pastor um, is that both of those professions um, tend to look at life a little bit differently. Um, And you show that definitely in your writing. You're not afraid to approach the simple things and call out the beauty in them. And that definitely shows through in your works that I've read. And so we are curious, did you ever consciously start doing that? And if you did, what prompted that practice? Wow, that's a really good question. I don't know that I can point to any kind of specific event you know, or a memory in which I would say that that's kind of where that began. I am, I'm guessing you're even sort of kind of familiar with the Enneagram. Yes. Um, (laughs) Popular, (laughs) talked about thing. Um, I kind of take some grains of salt with it. Um, I I may be talking to Enneagram professionals. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, I'm an Enneagram 4, which is kind of that artistic, you know, melancholy kind of a personality or temperament. Um, At least that's the way that I kind of make decisions and see the world or whatever. So I think a lot of that uh, actually comes, I guess the word is naturally, uh, and just how I see things. Um, I would call myself an optimist. I'm always looking for, you use the word beauty. That's a very, very important word to me. Um, And I have no qualms about using it about people, about music, about language, about, you know, literature or whatever, it can at times have a kind of a shallow quality to some people, but it's it's a very important thing to me. But I think I've just always looked at things that way, been fairly introspective, uh, fairly pretty strong introvert. Um, and so you're always creating these kinds of things in your head. Um, 
you know, fortunately, you have people around you um, who are not that way. And so they pull you out of Fantasyville um, so that you remember to eat and shower and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're just always trying to construct some things, not necessarily things that are not true, but I would definitely say that you're trying to look for the, the good things. And um, that truck's pretty close with that, that verse in the New Testament about those things that are, whatever things are good, whatever things are true and upright. Um, think about those things. It doesn't mean that you have a Pollyanna kind of attitude about the world by any means, but um, you know, if you have to choose, you would choose in the direction of the light, so to speak. That's a great way to say that, choose in the direction of the light. I'm also an Enneagram 4, um, uh. so I can... <laughs> You know, I can see where you're coming from with a little bit of that, although sometimes I have to work to stay out of the melancholy side. <laughs> yeah, I can get pretty Eeyore-ish. <laughs> uh, but uh, like I said, you're hopefully uh, you're surrounded by some other people that aren't that way. And I, uh, my wife is the polar opposite of me when it comes to that. So she's, uh, you know, uh, able to uh, help me in that way. So this is a complete aside, but I'm wondering, Ashley, do you find it easier to not be melancholy when you've had good sleep in the recent past? Oh my gosh, yes. Okay. So Ashley has <laughs> like worlds of <laughs> Ashley has three kids under four right now, so she is oh, in wow. the thick of it. <laughs> oh goodness. I don't I don't know how uh, far apart your three were, John, but Ashley Ashley has them right on top of each other right now. Yep. <laughs> Uh, now tell me, Ashley, uh, boys, girls, what's the kind of breakdown there? Uh, the oldest two are girls, and then the baby is a boy. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You really are uh, live and in color there. Gosh. Um, I was going to say, she just got back from a week of vacation without her children, so she should be in oh. a pretty chipper place right now. <laughs> yeah, it does make a big difference. Like, you never notice like how much that lack of sleep is wearing on you over the years <laughs> until you finally actually get some sleep. And um, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is how people are getting things done every day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Um, yeah, our kids, um, our oldest uh, is a boy, um, younger two are girls. First two, there's 17 months apart. And then there was a gap of it's almost three years. So um, when they were small, it was you know it was not quite as intense maybe as you've got there, Ashley. But it, it was still it was still kicking. So yeah, those first two are still quite a short gap that you've got there. So and I mean speaking of little kids, we're because we are both in the thick of things with raising little ones. We often talk to people who are also in the same position. So there's a lot of talk on here about little kids and sleepless nights and trying to figure out time to make art and be creative when you're changing diapers and not sleeping, but you're kind of on the other side of that. And you've got grown kids who are all later in high school or in college, and you're also working full time. So you've kind of got um, a little bit of freedom on the family side, but then you've still got that full-time job going on. So we're curious about what your routine looks like as far as creative work and what your process looks like there. I will say that when I was in the season of life that that you are currently in, we we changed diapers and watched you know Blues Clues or whatever. That 
that was that was what we did. I don't know that we thought too much about uh, even me being very creative. Um, probably that was when I was a pastor. Probably the you know kind of sermon event or sermon moment that was my creative outlet for the week. Um, and the rest of the time we were just enjoying our kids. <laughs> um, we lived in a little bitty Arkansas town, had one red light. The grocery store closed at six o'clock in the evenings and it was full of senior adults. And so it was, it kind of sounds idyllic almost. And I think it maybe was, but I don't think we, as in my wife and I fretted too much about that. Um, we just tried to enjoy those kids and, uh, but there came a time, as you said, when they began to, to get older, that some of that um, rhythm shifted a little bit. And I have always been a person who gets up early, like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and that's when my, that's when I would say my creative output is at its best. Um, and uh, I was, I would be able to, to write or, um, you know, do the poetry stuff that I've done some in the past. If it didn't happen before everyone started waking up and the day began, it, it probably wouldn't happen mm-hmm. um, because you'd, you'd get home in the evenings and then there would be, you know, helping people with calculus or other things that I never understood. Um, but you still wanted to try to be engaged. Um, and those were days in which, you know, husbands were really trying to kind of do the opposite of what uh, past generations had done. We were really trying to be you know, all in and um, really not helicoptering, but uh, to really try to be involved in things and not be so absent, if you will. But but I was able to start utilizing some of those early mornings, and that just became a habit, and uh, it's still one that I continue to this day. Um, and my body, I, I guess you could say you can train your body to do that. Um, and I, you know, about three thirty, three forty-five, I I just wake up and. Uh, really have an internal alarm plot uh, and, and try to get that work done. Might have a good hour, hour and a half to do some work there. Some mornings that's writing, some mornings that's just reading. Um, some mornings it's uh, drinking a cup of coffee and looking at the wall. So <laughs> uh, a wide variety of uh, creative approaches there. So. I like that. Everyone needs some time to just stare at the wall once in a while. <laughs> So I know you have authored books of your own, and you've also co-authored books with other people. So how, what does that process look, I guess, how is it different for you writing your own story versus kind of bringing that story out in someone else? That's another good question. Have either of you ever done that kind of work, say, for another, another writer or another, another individual in which you were trying to have to in some way, maybe capture their voice or their story? I have tried. Um, I'm also an editor um, working on a freelance basis. So there have been times in the past where I've done um, not quite developmental editing, but almost more of a writing coaching role. And I found that I wasn't super well suited to it. (laughs) Um, It just wasn't wasn't my strong suit. So I went back to copy editing and proofreading where I could just put their commas in their place and be done with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I like, Um, I was going to say, I edit my brother-in-law's nursing practitioner papers at the moment and try to make sense of them. So when you said something about like, oh, I try to understand calculus. I was like, yeah, I'm trying to understand like non-pharmacological 
uh, he's got so many big words. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's more my end of things. It's also a little bit more editing and um, communications and public relations and things like that. I'll try to answer your question the best I can. Yes, I have done that in the past. Uh, and I am hopefully here in the next couple of weeks finishing up a project even now, um, working with a retired baseball player and uh, just trying to help him write his story. Um, he's a much better pitcher than he is a writer. And <laughs> so uh, I've been able to help him. But um, unless something radically changes, maybe in terms of, probably in terms of, of compensation, you know, at some point mm-hmm. the, the, the dollars and cents aspect of things comes into play. And I don't, I don't shy away from those kind of discussions at all. But uh, unless something radically changed in terms of, of that, I probably will not do that any longer. Um, I've been grateful for the opportunities that I've had to do that in the past, but uh, it, it is always a challenge, or at least it has been for me, uh, to try to capture the other person's voice. Um, and oftentimes I've found, not every time, but I would say oftentimes, even in working, you mentioned, I think you mentioned Brennan Manning, or maybe you mentioned that to me in an email or something. Um, and even working with people who would call themselves writers and trying to kind of transfer that information, when he tried to transfer that information to me, so to speak, and then I was going to put that on the page, that's always, I think the word is work. It has always <laughs> been labor mm-hmm. um, to do that because, uh, kind of like I initially said, you know, communicating to the audience is very important to me. So the language, therefore, is very important to me. And oftentimes that can that can be a problematic thing. It's nothing that you can't overcome, and, and you do. You have conversations with people, and you work with them, and you wrestle around things, and, and, and you get to the finish line. And we've always gotten to the finish line in the projects that I've been involved in. Um, but, but it's difficult, and I'm really at a point uh, here in March I'll be – 52 years old, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm ready to write my own story uh, instead of someone else's. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And so do you ever feel like when you're doing that work, you're trying to draw the story out from someone else, that trying to capture their voice um, has an effect on your own writing voice then when you go back to work on your own projects? Do you kind of have to shake off what you've been doing with them? <laughs> You know, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you really have to kind of, at least I've found that I have to, I have to do something. Um, it's usually not, it usually does not involve writing. It might be maybe a month of just reading, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe picking up a good, a good work of fiction and just immersing myself in that for a month in which I'm not trying to really think about writing. I'm still in the, in the world of words and, and language. Um, but it's, it's a different sort of an activity there. Um, but I do, I would agree with you and you have, you have to do something. I think you phrase shake that off and that, that's wise because it, you're not always aware of it, but that stuff kind of creeps into your own writing and usually catch that as you go back and kind of do some, some self editing. But, um, but that's always a challenge, especially if you've been really deeply embedded with somebody in their story, um, uh, for maybe you know, sometimes a project would take 8, 12, 16 months. That's a pretty long time. You really need to raise your head up and kind of get some fresh air before you start doing some of your own work. 
Yeah, that is an interesting way to come back at it because I know I've always just tried to dive back into my own stuff and you know, write a couple of really crappy drafts of something to get back to my own voice. Um, so maybe that is a better way. Just kind of let it be and read a bunch and give yourself a bit of a break. I like that. Uh, you know what that, I, I'll be honest with you, that was a trial and error kind of a thing. And I've just found over the years that that's worked for me. I've, uh, I did what you've done, you know, there initially. Um, and even as late as, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I, I would really just try to get right back up on the horse and try to do, uh, do some writing, but um, trying to do something different. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it's wise. It'll serve you well. Sometimes at the end of episodes, we like to do a little mini book club where we ask guests about what they have been reading lately. If there's been anything particularly inspirational or that's really affected their creative life, or just a recent, you know, good novel that you read that you would like to talk about. Yeah, be happy to. Are you familiar with the uh, the writer Cormac McCarthy? Yes. He has a novel entitled Blood Meridian. Um, and I have tried, I don't know when I bought my copy. I've got a used copy. It's been years ago. But I have tried over the years to read that thing. Um, very much wanted to, but for one reason or another, I just, I'd get about a third of the way through and I just fizz out. Um, and so over the, over the Christmas break, um, I kind of did a, New Year's resolution early, and I committed to whatever it took. I was going to read Blood Meridian <laughs> over the holidays, and um, I'm dangerously close to finishing. Uh, I had to kind of dip over into January a little bit, but uh, I, I love his work and I love his his way of writing. It's been some time since I've read anything by him, but um, there's actually a <clears throat> Uh, a theologian by the name of Fleming Rutledge, and she mentioned uh, that novel over the holidays in a blog post, I think, and, and just talked about how good it was and how rich it was. And so that kind of prodded me uh, back into that. But uh, as I said, I'm just about finished with it. And it really has been fantastic. It's a hard read. Um, it's it's this kind of Old Testament apocalyptic violent cowboy thing, which, um, I just love. <laughs> I was say, it sounds uh, right up your alley. <laughs> it really is. And, uh, but he's such, uh, I've so enjoyed just reading the way that he writes and, uh, he's very, uh, shy about using any kind of punctuation. So you have these just long sentences that just go on and on. Sometimes there'll be paragraphs, which, with hardly any punctuation at all. And so um, that's a really different style of writing. It takes, it takes you a little while to kind of get adjusted to that. And you, you know, you kind of get in a rhythm there where you can read that, but uh, I've loved that. And so, like I said, I'm, uh, I've got just a few chapters uh, and I'll finish that up. But that's, that's been very good. I would think McCarthy's probably an, an acquired taste or um, maybe especially that novel in particular, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, the only book of his that I have read is The Road, and I really appreciated his writing style, but I was, like, depressed after I finished that <laughs> book, and so I have stayed away from him since then, because speaking of melancholy, that sent me right there. <laughs> the post-apocalyptic <laughs> stuff is not quite for me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I read yeah. The Road, I 
so I'm a five on the Enneagram and I think I have a pretty strong four wing, but I definitely go at things with the analytical side first. And I remember reading the road and getting to the end and being like, that was it. That's all you're going to give me. (laughs) (laughs) I maybe didn't approach that one with the right attitude. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's kind of been the, um, I guess that's the single, the single book that I would point to. Kind of through the Advent season, I went back through uh, Mary Oliver's book titled Upstream, which is a book of essays. Um, and that, uh, believe it or not, that's what I used as my kind of Advent devotional reading guide. Um, and would try to read, you know, a chapter or so um, of that. And um and I love that, and I, I really appreciate the work that Mary Oliver does. So maybe those two titles, uh, very different books <laughs> uh, by all means. But, um, but yeah, uh, I've enjoyed having some time to read over the holidays. It's been good. Yeah, that is one of the best parts about the holidays is getting some time to read. And it sounds like your choices just balanced each other out, so it works. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so your most recent book is The Jubilee, which is a collection of poems. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, that, is, that book's going on be close to two years now that it's been out, um, unleashed upon the public. <laughs> and uh, I had a, a season or a few seasons, I guess, several years ago where I wrote a lot of poetry and um, was almost posting something every day. I don't have any training as a poet. It's just something that I've loved over the years and it followed and um, kind of got to the point where I wanted to, to try my hand at that, if you will. And um, so at the conclusion of that, uh, I had a lot of poems. Um, they're all still, you know, you can access those on my blog. But uh, my mom asked me one day if I thought about kind of collecting some of those and, uh, and self-publishing them. And um, I was about to turn 50, and so I was looking for something to kind of mark time. You know, I could have run a marathon or uh, got a tattoo or something like that, I suppose. <laughs> but um, I thought, well, let, let's do this and um, let's put some of these poems together. And I actually invited my mom to help me. Uh, curate those poems and, and actually choose the poems. So um, I think we, I think I had maybe a 75 or 80 poems that I felt pretty good about, and I sent those to her and I said, I want you to pick the top 50, and uh, I'm going to do the same, and then we'll kind of compare notes. I, I may be giving you more backstory than you were asking for, but um, but we did, and uh, it was really pretty cool, and that uh, I'd say up. Uh, about 95% of the time we agreed on things. And uh, so it, it's kind of a special thing. Yeah, I turned 50, but, you know, everybody eventually usually turns 50. But to have my mom involved on that project, uh, really as, a, as an advocate, you know, and a supporter, and even really she generated the idea of the whole thing, it was pretty special. And so we went through that, and uh, that was my first attempt at self-publishing. And um, I am not that kind of a guy, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurial, techie kind of a thing. Um, but I was able to navigate those waters and did that through Create Space, and we put that out. And that had had a, a good response to it. And um, surprisingly, you know, every month I get 
a tiny little check. Um, so I've had a good initial self-publishing experience, and uh, it's been really fun to, to be able to do that. And uh, and I've had some friends who've continued to kind of help, you know, keep that in the public eye um, over these months, and I, I've been very thankful for that as well. So. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I love that your mom kind of prompted you to do it and then helped you along the way. That's what mothers are for, aren't they? <laughs> they are. She wouldn't, she did not vote for any of my poems that had profanity in them. Um, <laughs> and so that was, those were automatically called out. But I, I was willing to make that kind of a concession, so, such as the love I have for my mother. <laughs> that oh, that's really fantastic. Sweet. And do you have any other new releases coming up in the future? You know, I would love to tell you that I do, but uh, but I don't. I've got some <laughs> ideas. Um, I mentioned the uh, project with the baseball player a few minutes ago. I'm really trying to finish that up and hoping that after that I can take one of those, like we were talking about a minute ago, raise your head up and breathe a little bit, and then maybe step into some projects. I've got some ideas. Um, a writer's conference that I'm hoping to attend a little later in the spring. And so um, kind of some, some open air maybe to kind of see what's next. Very much want to do something, but just not sure what that may be at this time. So can you tell our listeners, John, where they can find you online if they want to read some of these poems or find out where they can purchase some of these books? Sure. Um, my website uh, is, is to be found at johnblaze.com. And um, I've got a book listing there. Um, the guy who helped me build the site, uh, I always want to mention his name. His name is Michael Murray. He's a fantastic uh, website designer if anybody needs assistance doing that kind of thing. But he's got it arranged there where you can look at the books that I've written and actually it'll take you directly you know, via a link to the, the Amazon um, portal or whatever you call that thing. <laughs> um, portal is an but, apt uh, word. Is it? Yes. Uh, the black hole or whatever that is. But, uh, and yeah, all those poems, we are working on a search feature for my site. Um, we don't have that up and running yet, but I do have things arranged in, in categories of poems and then some letters. There, there was a time there in which I was writing a friend uh, by the name of Wynn Collier, some letters and things are arranged there, but everything's there. And um, if anyone is interested, I'd say just, you know, just jump in and kind of stumble around and, and see what you find. But um, it's all there at johnblaze.com. And uh, I'm spending most of my other kind of social media time, if you will, on Twitter these days. Um, not as active on Facebook, but um, now that you can, you've got a little, a little higher word count and even the thread option on Twitter, I'm able to do some kind of longer things. Um, and I'm kind of feeling my way in that in that space. I'm not convinced it's it's a wonderful place to be, but I'm giving it a shot. <laughs> hey, Ashley and I met on Twitter, and that is the whole reason we have a podcast now. So we are pro Twitter, even though we understand yeah. it has many drawbacks. Good. Well, that's cool. I, I'm glad to know that. That's good. Well. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. This was such a great conversation and we can't wait to share your words of wisdom with all of our listeners. Really, thank you very much. I appreciate your interest um, and your, your kind, thoughtful questions very much. 
Thanks for listening to the Chasing Creative podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure to stop by chasingcreative.com to check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes, and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also join in the creative conversation by tweeting to us at Abigail E. Creeps or at Brooks Editorial or by using the hashtag Chasing Creative on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at ChasingCreativePodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go chase your creative.